Wallace Chapman here, uh, Jenny Rainish and Phil O'Reilly with me. Now, just a word on this. Uh, this afternoon, Foreign Affairs Minister Nanai Mahuta has announced Aotearoa is suspending its bilateral human rights dialogue with Iran. New Zealand and Iran established the human rights dialogue in 2018. Excuse me, with the hope of advancing human rights issues and concerns. Images of shots being fired into the crowd at Maza Amini's 40th day of mourning ceremony have shocked New Zealanders, said Minister Nanaya Mahuta. Hundreds have died in Iran, including more than a dozen children. Here's a snippet of what Jacinda Ardern had to say this afternoon. We have always believed in dialogue and diplomacy as key tools but we also believe in sending clear messages on behalf of those who are least able to. So on that basis, New Zealand will now suspend indefinitely our human rights dialogue with Iran. We don't see the utility of holding talks that aren't accompanied by progress and worse, provide a legitimacy to them that their actions don't warrant. On that basis, we are also calling on United Nations member states to remove Iran from the UN Commission on the Status of Women. Dr. Lida Ayubi, uh, postgraduate supervisor at AUT and human rights lecturer, joins us. Uh, Dr. Ayubi, welcome to the programme. Kia ora, thanks for having me. Bilateral human rights dialogue with Iran suspended. Is that enough? Certainly not. No, it's not. So what have we got here? We have um, a, a human rights dialogue um, advancement happened in 2018. They've had one meeting. The next meeting, I think it was going to happen last year, suspended. Um, what further would you like to see happen? Um, well, just before uh, I talk about what further could be done, I just wanted to highlight this, that while this is a really welcome step by the government, to publicly announce the cutting of the ties, um, it's also um, it's not might not be as um, sort of a big step as it might appear because we know uh, based on the government's track record, Iranian government's track record for the past 40 years, it had many opportunities for dialogue and it's received recommendations from multiple UN um, treaty bodies and experts and most of. UN mechanisms, because obviously it's an intergovernmental and state-based body, is collaborative. It's not punitive. So uh, we have treaty bodies that monitor the implementation of different human rights treaties. Um, We also have UN experts that um, um, publish recommendations and suggestions to the Iranian government in how it can better promote and respect human rights. And um, over the years, it's has consistently um, avoided doing so. We have reports just from the last round of uh, the Universal Periodic Review uh, done by the Human Rights Council in 2020, where Iran rejected a majority of the recommendations with regards to ratification of some of the core human rights treaties, like the um, Convention on the Rights of Women and like the Convention Against Torture, which still hasn't ratified. Um, So it is surprising that this bilateral human rights dialogue, in fact, wasn't um, cut earlier. It's because, if anything, the human rights situation in Iran, as reported by experts like the UN Special Rapporteur on the situation of human rights in Iran, the situation has deteriorated, if anything. So it should should have come earlier, really. So not enough before we leave you, Dr. Ayubi. Um, A freeze on assets, bank account 
travel of people supporting violence in Iran? That's what uh, Green MP uh, Golruz Garaman wants. Um, yes, there is also more that can be done at the UN level. Um, no. so experts are calling for a special session of the Human Rights Council. Um, 16 out of the 47 current members are needed to support the call. New Zealand is not currently a Human Rights Council member, but it could use its influence to support that call. Okay. There is, there are, yep, keep, keep going just briefly. Um, there are also calls for an independent inquiry. Um, so not by the UN government, but by UN experts. Again, um, New Zealand can support that while it looks at measures internally, such as um, sanctions on the RIGC, freezing of assets, expelling the ambassador, and so on. Thank you very much for being with us. That's Dr. Lida Ayubi, uh, who's saying that uh, this um, suspension of a bilateral human rights dialogue with Iran, it's been suspended, but uh, it is... Absolutely not enough. Now, to this, the government wants to make it easier for communities to put in place rules around the sale of alcohol in the area with a new amendment expected uh, to be law to remove liquor companies and supermarkets avenues for appealing local alcohol policies. The current laws allow liquor stores and supermarkets to block local councils from limiting the sale of alcohol with the process costing millions in legal fees nationwide. And Minister of Justice Kerry Allen said the law was not working as uh, intended. So we've got a couple of voices on this. Let's bring in Robert Brewer, the Chief Executive of Spirits NZ. Robert, kia ora. Here, kia ora. How do you see these changes? On board with it? Well, I mean, in principle, um, we've been saying for some time that the the way that the, particularly the district licensing committees have been provisioned, resourced and supported needs to be closely looked at because that's where the rubber meets the road in terms of communities, the voices of communities being represented. I don't really think that the removal of the appeal rights under the Act is going to achieve a hell of a lot because we're already, we're already restricted under the Act anyway. Uh, if, they, if the minister is intending to remove... The, the the right of uh, the industry to, um, to 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 do judicial reviews well that's a much bigger question and goes beyond the sale and supply of alcohol act yeah it may well come to that but uh, what's the number of it more vulnerable suburbs are more appealing to retailers of things like alcohol people like you Robert less able to fight decisions to allow them to set up shop in their neighbourhoods so it's just about balancing the rights of uh, voices like yours with the community saying hey we don't want that shop next to us well that's exactly right I think that and I think the most important word you've used there is balance and we would agree and this is why this is what the uh, in particular the district licensing committees were established to do to be the voice of the local community but when they were put in place they weren't really given any support or guidance as to how to operate how to judge what a good operator is, what a good application for a license is, and what isn't. What we've suggested for some time is that why not, through this process, this sort of process, why not put in place some regulated guidelines which would allow those 
community voices to be better heard and allow them to more effectively right. and efficiently judge a good operator from a bad operator. Robert, we've got also got Dr Nikki Jackson talking to very shortly, but let's bring in our panel. Jenny, how do you see this issue? Look, I think it is a lot of responsibility to put on people in the community. They may not want the presence of alcohol there, but I'm pretty sure that you know what Robert is saying is correct. You can't give people those sorts of responsibilities and not support them into differentiating between maybe what is good and what isn't good. So I think it sounds like they're in a difficult position. Stay there, uh, uh, Robert, uh, Phil. I must say, in South Auckland, when I travel through there, some of that, some of the behaviour there does look pretty confronting in terms of the number of liquor outlets. So, so it seems to me that maybe the, the current situation is not working as well as it might. But I think Robert's got a point that you can't have a, a, a bit of a broken process and then say, well, you can't appeal that. I think you've got to look at the whole process overall and say, are we getting to outcomes that are more defensible? And maybe we'll, and maybe then you have a look at how the appeals process works to speed it up and make sure the lawyers don't get too involved. All right, final thought, Robert? Yeah, listen, uh, I just want to come back to that appeal process thing. I think it's an important, couple of important points to make. And I know that the, um, that the situation around the Auckland LAP is held up as a bit of a poster child for uh, delays in getting this through. That, that, the, 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 the process around the appealing of the Auckland LAP has nothing to do with the Sale and Supply of the Alcohol Act. Uh, the appeal process there is very truncated for for industry. That is that is uh, uh, supermarkets basically exercising their right under a judicial review process. That has nothing to do with the act. So there, there's a there's a split here between what the Sale and Supply of Alcohol Act says, and then what is available to anybody in any industry under common New Zealand law. All right, thanks, Robert. That's Robert Brewer, the chief executive of Spirits NZ. Listen to that as Dr. Nikki Jackson, executive director of Alcohol Health Watch. Kia ora, Dr. Jackson. Kia ora. What did you hear there? Well, look, exactly. We're not. This is not removing the judicial review process that exists for all council policies and bylaws. This bill, which is retabled, is about the special appeals process that only exists for council local alcohol policies. It doesn't apply to any other social policy within council. So why are we privileging the rights of alcohol retailers to have this lower bar to be able to appeal policies? The intent of this legislation in 2012 was actually to improve community input into local licensing decisions, get good policies in place so communities are not having to fight licence by licence by licence at a district licensing committee. So, you know, I think these are good changes. Councils have got behind, you know, wanting to get rid of this appeals process because they've told us time and time again it is what's preventing them upholding community wishes for greater alcohol controls. Now, uh, Phil O'Reilly brought up the issue of uh, some parts of Auckland. Uh, he mentioned South Auckland, and you do you do drive around parts of Auckland, uh, also uh, out the west, driving up near where I am, and the proliferation of some of these uh, look at hot tests. I mean, it's quite it's quite extraordinary. Is this quite an issue for communities across uh, not just Auckland but uh, but New Zealand, Nikki? Like, oh, yet another one. Yeah, I mean, communities across the country contact us for support in fighting liquor licences in their neighbourhood. But unfortunately, the success rate is incredibly low. So if you look at two years in Auckland, only two off-licences for new off-licences or renewal of existing licences were refused out of almost 500 applications. There's a success rate of about 1%, and then they often get appealed to the next level anyway. Hang on, hang on. Two refused out of, what, 500? At about 470 for 2020 and 2021. 
Good grief. There you yeah, go, Jenny. Yeah. Where's the balance in that, Jenny? Look, I think it sounds like there's a real mismatch—a real mismatch between you know the agenda that you know the community have and 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 what the liquor companies want to do. And I, it sounds like no one's very clear on what the policy ought to be and how it ought to work. Um, Phil, which is a shame, you know. It always worries me when people say they speak for the community. The process needs to speak for the community. That's why I've said. Uh, just earlier on, we need to make sure that that process is truly reflective and doesn't just take into account the loud voices, either the loud voices for liquor or the loud voices who are opposed. Nikki? Well, yeah, but it is alcohol industry lawyers that are dominating the process, both both at local alcohol policy and at the local licensing level. So getting rid of cross-examination, allowing you know more people to have a say and a standing in these hearings is an important step. So community voices aren't getting heard at the moment, and it's important that they do. Yeah. Just finally, Dr Jackson, isn't drinking declining considerably anyway? I mean, read, read somewhere that we are drinking 25% less than we did in the 70s. The no <laughs> alcohol, The no alcohol movement now is considerable and young people are moving away from the booze as they have cigarettes. Won't this societal issue in the end be decided by the consumer or am I being naive? Well, goodness, we can't wait for young people to just um, kind of grow up and <coughs> maintain lower levels of consumption. We've still got really high levels of alcohol use in middle-aged adults and over and real significant inequities in consumption for Māori being you know, almost twice as likely to drink oh. hazardously. So we've, we've still got big problems in this country. The prevalence of hazardous drinking hasn't moved in years. It's still one in five New Zealanders, over 800,000 New Zealanders. So we've got high levels of harm and it still needs to be addressed. Dr. Nikki Jackson, Executive Director of Alcohol Health Watch. Kia ora, thank you for your time. Before that, we had uh, Robert Brewer, the Chief Executive of Spirits NZ. 21 past four, Jenny Rainish and Phil O'Reilly with me today. Now, just because international borders have reopened, that doesn't mean we can all afford to take advantage of it. Consumer NZ recently conducted research comparing the price of air travel with inflation, and it shows a giant leap in price from uh, the quarter two of 2021, a spike with which we have yet to come down from. Uh, one woman got in touch with, uh, one woman who got in touch with them said her daughter and granddaughter used to pay roughly $1,300 return to visit her in Wellington at Christmas. Today, the same flights, $2,500. With us is Consumer NZ investigative writer uh, Rory O'Shea. Rory, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? I'm well. Who can afford to fly? That's incredible well, money. Two and a half thousand dollars. Where last year it was thirteen hundred. Uh, just, just to clarify, it was pre-pandemic. It was around thirteen hundred. Uh, not necessarily last year. I yeah. Think we are, we are seeing a lot of members of our members getting in touch to say that they're experiencing these these really high these really high flight prices. We're seeing all the stories being published today. I think that people might expect consumers to come on and say, "Well, isn't this terrible?" It's super expensive. I, I think that I think that what we'd like to bring to the conversation at the moment is just some of the reasons for why flights might be up, and just to inform people about why why this might be. Yeah. Um. So so between 2017 and 2021, domestic flights did can, did kind of rise fast in inflation. International flights actually fell fell slightly relative to other products. Uh. And and as you say, since since quarter two of 2021, with the border reopening, flights. Flights have risen dramatically in price. Um, one, of, one of the main reasons for that is the pandemic. So the airline industry was obviously massively affected by the pandemic, more, more than most industries. And that 
that decimated that decimated their balance sheets. So Air New Zealand went from being a business that made about two hundred and seventy six million dollars in profit to one that makes a four hundred and fifty million dollar loss and it's continuing to sustain losses. All right, so to be expected, Jenny, uh, have you tried to book a flight? Actually, we have. We um, have booked a flight to Sydney, and the price is eye-watering. So we had planned to go further afield um, for Christmas, and we've put it off just because you Because of the it. price? Yep, absolutely. You look at it and you think, you know, it's actually too hard to, to pay. Yeah. So we're going to Sydney, but no further afield. 2101 is the number to text. Are you in the same boat? Have you bought a ticket and thinking, oh, my goodness, why did I pay for that? The thing is, uh, stay there, Phil. The thing is, is that um, Jenny is taking the whānau for a holiday trip, but there are people who want to see their loved ones and they have to go overseas and pay this sort of eye-watering money. I, I, I really do emphasise that. I'm from the UK. I'm looking at going home and unfortunately not, not going home uh, when, when I would prefer to because mm-hmm. of flight prices. I think that uh, if, if people are sitting there just feeling like it's really unfair and really, really difficult, I think it is just worth bearing in mind that this is, it's an unprecedented back-to-back kind of situation of the pandemic, which has really hurt those businesses, followed by the conflict in Ukraine, which has had probably sure. potentially a bigger impact. So, for example, in OECD nations between 20, June 2021 and June 2022, inflation was around 10%. So that's the kind of cost of living squeeze. That's, that's us all paying higher prices across the board. Jet fuel, by comparison, went up by 128%. So the price of jet fuel doubled year on year. Got it. As, okay. Uh, as sanctions on Russia were, were put in place. Let's bring in Phil. Eh? Phil, uh, what about you? Have you tried to book a flight or have you booked a flight going, oh, well, I've got to put down this sort of money? Well, I have been flying, of course. I came back in out of Europe and Asia uh, about 10 days ago. What was striking was not just the price, but how all the planes were full. I mean, you just couldn't change your flight. Uh, and it goes to the point that's being made that this will be solved by competition. And at the moment, you don't have enough. Uh, and and those airlines that were smashed around during COVID haven't yet come back. We don't have the big carriers coming in here to do the long-haul flights. The Americans are coming back, but the Chinese aren't going to come back anytime soon. And the big Middle Eastern guys really aren't back just yet. So, you know, my sense is this will unwind. But I think you're going to see... Uh, even in a year's time, higher uh, airfares than you would have previously because of the points that have just been made around inflation, the price of fuel and so on. I think this has got a while to go. I think the the era of super cheap air travel is, is uh, going to be some, oh, some time away. Interesting comment. Uh, and Sue says, oh, my goodness, it cost my daughter $1,200 to fly Auckland to Christchurch for a week at Christmas. Rory, that's a consumer in story right there. That's extraordinary. It is extraordinary. They're extraordinary times. Like I, I, I can't. I don't think I can emphasize that point enough. Mm. That these are that these are extraordinary times. There's been a once in a century pandemic, yeah. followed by a war involving one of the world's largest oil producers, and that the oil producers have kind of ganged up together to reduce production to keep the price of oil high. I, I agree with the previous point made that time. I, I think time will see this unwind. It's, it's going to take time, and it is really uncertain what's going to happen with with Russia, with with the other OPEC nations. Um, and I think that New Zealand is unfortunately limited in, in competition, not just in terms of the number of airlines coming in, and the American airlines should come back, but in terms of the type of transport. So, if you want to get from Auckland to Wellington. What, what options do you have? You, you can yeah. drive or you can fly, uh, but there's no, there's no kind of mass public transport otherwise.
Very good, Rory. Hey, thank you for uh, being with us and enlightening us on that. That's Rory O'Shea there from, uh, or investigative reporter at Consumer NZ. Get this one. My sister visiting from the US for Christmas. Her ticket was almost 6000 New Zealand dollars. Uh, good Lord. Uh, another one here. We cancelled a holiday with family from Sydney because the flights were 900 return. I don't know why people fly. I don't know why, Jenny, um, the flights are booked. I'm going nowhere. Look, we've been Absolutely nowhere. Absolutely no, you know, nowhere. We've been completely nowhere for ages. I mean, it's been extraordinary. Mm. Normally, we would, you know, we would travel, and our youngest daughter's in Sydney, so we oh, want to go and see her. Okay. Uh, so we'd go and see her for that reason. But otherwise, it just makes you feel sorry for the money that you're spending it all. And, and if your daughter wasn't in Sydney, would you go? No. It's so it's family related, yeah, it and you got to see her. I'd like to see her. I miss her. Oh. So you know, it's a good opportunity. How, how long has it, how long has it been since you've seen her? Not long. Yeah. Um, but, you know. Got to go. Yeah. Yeah, good on you. Uh, 28 past for the panel. Uh, I want to get my pa- um, uh, panel's comments on this. Trick or treat tonight, when kids come knocking, do you give them the sweets or not? Just not open the door. Do you buy into Halloween? Do you, like me, hate Halloween and wish it would go away? If you come to my door, you'll be getting a slice of cucumber. Uh, Halloween is thought to have roots in Christmas beliefs and practices around the panel. Phil O'Reilly, you get a knock tonight... What well, my, do you what well, do you give them? Well, my little dog's going to bark and try and bite their ankle for a start. Good, but I, I've got in mind kale. I think kale is a good option because I love kale. No, really, I do, and I think I think we should give the kids kale, which will mean they never come back to my house ever again. Look, you two are killjoys. I love Halloween. <laughs> Our house is full of lollies, and we want every child in the neighbourhood to come and knock on that door. I think there is nothing more fun than giving kids sweets and eating them yourself. I look forward to it all year. It is the best fun. And what about those dental issues well, that we you know, talk about all year? Okay, so you have what one, you night, at, one night where you go mad for lollies. No, I think it's we're, glorious. We're going, we're going mad all the time with are this we sort though? of stuff. How many we times are. do people knock on your door and ask for lollies? Normally it's just once a year for me. <laughs> Otherwise it's a pretty weird house. <laughs> I know. So I think it's great. You know, I mean, from my point of view, once a year they knock it's on just, the door and we give I'm, them I'm lollies. I'm just trying to find a way. You know, there's birthdays and there's a little treat. I'm trying to find a way to get my little junior to eat less damn oh, sweets, but honestly. But the fun and, of dressing and, up and, and, and going and around the neighbourhood and meeting the neighbours. It's not our, It's not part of who we are. Look, is it? I, I think it is now because it's it's just fun. Do we actually need to believe? I mean, how many people celebrate Christmas who actually don't believe in Christ? That's so a good point. It's, it's my issue is it's a fun thing to do and yet another and we love imported it. culture that none of us like. We, no, none of none, no no panelist likes Halloween. I love Halloween. I stand up for Halloween. Halloween is just just fun. Oh, I have glorious memories of do dressing you? up the kids and going around the neighbourhood. They'd all go together. No, it was fantastic fun. I have never once been part of a Halloween. Would you like to come over and we oh, can do one in the street? No, God no. <laughs> Um, Phil, you with me, huh? Well, I, I, don't, I don't really mind if the kids want to go around and, and uh, hassle people. That's that's okay, as long as they don't hassle me, really. Just call me Mr. Grumpy. But, yeah, oh, look, it, Guy Fox is worse. I mean, Guy oh, Fox Guy scares worse. all the animals. And, and, uh, and, I'll tell you what's worse than, and I'll tell you what's worse than that. Um, adults dressing up in Guy Fawkes or Halloween costumes, rather. Oh, yeah. And being part of it. Oh, yeah. No, Look, I can't right. say we ever dressed up for it, but it was a, it was it was lots of fun, and it was a good community thing to do, and it mm. was something kids could do. What what I did used to laugh about was the fact that all those years of growing up saying don't take lollies from strangers and don't get into cars with strangers, and then there you are, 
taking lollies from strangers and getting into Uber. So, you know, it did used to strike me as kind of a pretty different world from the one we used to all be in. What I, what I think is good about it is it's, if it's a bit of a community celebration and it gets the neighbours together, that's a good thing. So if it's an excuse to do that, that's great. But if it's an excuse for, you know, just celebrating See, something irrelevant, De- nothing. Dennis, uh, Dennis has the spirit. Uh, Dennis has the right spirit, Jenny. <laughs> Dennis says, just put a sign in the window saying, I'm sick, stay away. <laughs> No, you see, this is it. You two just have lost the spirit. If there's a spirit of Halloween, you two have missed it. It's have gone. One, the Grinches, the Grinches of, those, of Halloween. Have one of those COVID signs on your window. That'll do it. There you go. Thank you, Phil. Good on you. Uh, you're on the. You're on the panel. RNZ National.